You're listening to the Scottsdale Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scottsdale Baptist Church, visit our website at scottsdale.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill. Those of you watching us online, we're glad that you're able to join us. This is the second to last time you'll see that bump. Next week will be the last time because we're going to be concluding our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. But as we continue today, take your Bibles open or your devices, open them to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Next week, we're going to cover chapters 11 and 12 together. You're not going to miss it. We're going to have a lot of fun with those two because we're going to be talking about both youth and we're going to be talking about those who are a little older than youth. And uh, and that would be me and a lot of you out there. So, But we're going to, we're going to have a fun conclusion this series, but um, for today, we're going to be in chapter 10. And we really didn't know this morning whether we were even going to be able to meet, because early this morning, two transformers blew. We had no electricity. We had then some electricity and no water and no bathroom facilities, and we're running around thinking, what are we going to do? And God sent a guy from Duke Energy and turned everything on, and you have bathroom facilities, and we have lights. And uh, we're so grateful that we were able to meet, because I'm looking at all of you. I was saying, how in world would we'd stand and say I'm sorry you can't come in today we don't have electricity well we might not have electricity but we always have power amen and we're here this morning because of that Chuck Swindoll tells a story that is is a phenomenal story of uh, American Indian lore and he tells a story about a little brave who was out walking one day and he found an eagle's egg this majestic fowl of the air, and he didn't know what to do with the eagle's egg because it was far from the eagle's nest. So he did the best next thing. He put it in the nest of a prairie chicken. And in with that nest were a number of other prairie chicken eggs. And the hen comes along and she sees that egg missed with her other eggs, and she does what a mother hen does. She sat on it. And little by little, that eaglet hatched. And he became a changeling eagle because he began to grow up with prairie chicken chicks. And so it sounds like a restaurant, doesn't it? <laughs> but uh, so, but and, and as to be expected, he began to act just like the prairie chickens. Here's this majestic eagle growing up and he's scratching the ground. He's digging for seeds, digging for grubs. And when the prairie chickens would fly, they'd flutter and flutter, but never get more than a few feet off the ground and then land. And he learned to do that as well. He would flap those great wings. He would flutter, flutter, just a few feet off the ground, and he would land. And there he goes living his life as a prairie chicken. And one day he is older, and the prairie chickens around him, the chicks have grown up, and he's walking around scratching, clucking, making the noise that a prairie chicken does. And then he looks up in this clear blue sky and sees this majestic bird flying. It is soaring with its wide eagle's wingspan. And as it is flying along, he is captured by that. He looks up in awe and he says to the prairie chickens next to him, he says, what is that? And one of them looks at him and says, that is the chief bird of all birds. It is the eagle and he is majestic. And he looks up and he says, I wish I could. And right in the middle of his sentence, that prairie chicken said, stop it. You will never be able in your life to be like that. So put your thought away. And he put his head down. He began to scratch, dig for seeds and grubs, and died 
as a prairie chicken. Now, you and I would listen to that and say, what a waste. Created to soar, created to be the chief fowl of all birds, created to know what it's like to be above the clouds and above all of the menial things of life, but chosen to be nothing but a prairie chicken. Why? Because he listened to what other people said he was. He bought into the lie. He became very foolish and never got to the place that God created him for. Now, when I think of that, I think of a lot of people like that. I think of a lot of people who have been told lies all their life, and they're thinking that they can never be anything more than what they are now. And they never can look beyond of what God had created them for. And so what do they do? They become fools. They become giving to mediocrity and status quo and the whole hum of life and never being able to soar above the circumstances of their life or the things around them. And how many believers have fallen in the same lie? Listening to the lies of the world, listening to the lies of the enemy, listening to the lies of our own flesh that many times tell us that we're not worthy of the sacrifices of Christ or the power of the Holy Spirit or the forgiveness and his grace in our life. And what do we do? We end up living less than we are called to be. Isn't that so true? And here we come to chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes And this is what Solomon seems to be saying to us. He makes a comparison, not between prairie chickens and eagles. He makes a comparison between, and he's blunt, between fools and wise people. And when you go all through chapter 10, it's almost like the Proverbs again. It's like chapter 7, where he's spitting off these Proverbs one after another, and you're thinking that are they even loosely connected to one another? How can I make any sense of all of these things that he's talking about? And Solomon, in his wisdom, brings it down to such simplicity for us. And when we get to chapter 10, he's telling us how not to live under the sun, but he's given us how to live beyond the sun. And that is through wisdom. So here's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna unpack chapter 10. And there are four specific principles that I've gained from this. As I poured through all of these Proverbs this past week, the Holy Spirit gave me four areas that I think that we can package them in. And we're gonna look at four different areas. I'm gonna give them to you right up front. He's gonna say, watch out for individual foolishness because we all have that. Then he's gonna say, watch out for institutional foolishness because we're surrounded by that. And then he's gonna say, watch out for ironic foolishness. And I'm going to explain that. And then watch out for intellectual foolishness. And when he gives us all of these things, he's telling us how to be wise in the midst of these. So we're gonna unpack them. I'm gonna go right through them as quickly as I can, and I'm trying not to take as much time or nearly as much time as I took with you last week. So let's pray and get right into it. Father, thank you for your word. Help me as we unpack these to see how you want us to be what you've designed us to be in Christ, that we are to walk as wise, not as fools, buying up the time because the days are evil. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. These are the four areas that he tells us to watch out for. Number one, watch out for individual foolishness. Now, let me ask you a question. Has anybody in this room ever done anything foolish? Raise your hand. 
Raise your hand. There ought not be a single hand down, but some of you are doing this right now. And in your heart, you're doing this. Because every one of us, without exception, have done some things that have been foolish. And in this passage, verses one through three, he tells us three of the most common foolish things that individuals do And many times we don't even recognize them. And he puts them in such incredible word pictures for us. And I'm going to unpack these for you. Look at verse one. Here's the first thing he says. He says, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. You might say, what is he talking about there? He's talking more than about perfume. The word picture is this, somebody that has an expensive, exquisite bottle of one of the most fragrant aromas that you can imagine. Very expensive. People are after this thing. They want it. Everybody wants this. And it is very expensive, and yet one little fly goes into it. And the fly dies, and the fly decomposes. And rather than the fly becoming the sweet aroma of the ointment, The ointment becomes the stench of the fly. So what is he saying here? He's just simply saying this. Be wise in your small decisions. You see, we're really good with our big decisions. When we got to make really big decisions, we think about it, we think about the consequences, we think of all the things that have to go into that. But Solomon is saying this, listen, it's the little decisions, the little indiscretions, the little disobedience, The little waywardness, the little bit of drifting that can destroy a life that has been built on honor and reputation and good standing. I want you to think about this. How many people have you seen in culture that seem to be going along really well and their lives seem to be faithful, then all of a sudden one bad decision destroys their whole future? One bad decision can destroy a politician. One bad decision can destroy an outstanding Christian businessman. One bad decision can destroy a pastor. And it's the little things of obedience that make the difference. The Lord Jesus said to us, those who are faithful in little will be faithful in what? Much. And yet, here's the thing. It's the little bitty things that we think we can get away with. You know, I'm just going to go to that site one time. I'm just going to have one bottle. I'm just going to have one joint. I'm just going to tell one lie. I'm going to just tell, demonstrate one unfaithfulness. Surely that is not going to destroy my life. A man told me once, when a man hits bottom, he's been falling a long time. And he didn't get there by one big event. They were small indiscretions along the way. So he's saying the fool thinks he can get away with the little things, but the wise person knows it's the small decisions that make a difference. Horatio Bonner was a great old Scottish preacher. Here's what he wrote. He says, a holy life is made up of a multitude of small things. It's the little things of the hour and not the great things of the age that fill up a life like that of the Apostle Paul or John or David Brainerd or Henry Martin. Little words, not eloquent speeches or sermons. Little deeds, not miracles or battles or one great heroic effort of martyrdom make up the true holy life. So Solomon is saying this, listen, you want to be wise? Be wise in the little decisions. 
Because it's the little things that add up to much that bring a life of holiness. But he he says, individual foolishness, make sure you're careful with the small decisions. But then he tells us a second most common place in our individual foolishness that we need to be warned. He says, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, I've wondered for years as I've read this why the Republican Party hasn't grabbed hold of this. I mean, if you're going to proof text scripture, here's a great opportunity to put and just get everything you have in material and blast this verse connected to it. And by the way, the word left uh, from, from the Latin word gives us the word sinister. So I'm, I, look, I, I, I'm just saying, okay? But here's what I'm saying. Solomon is not interested in our political parties when he says this. What he is saying is this, that when he deals with the issue of right or left, he's really talking about be wise with smart directions. Not only the small decisions we make, but smart directions, Because here's what he's saying. The word right always refers to going in God's presence, in God's power, and God's plan, and God's protection. All through the pages of Scripture, going right means to go God's way. Going left means to go the way of the world, to go the way of the temptations of the devil, to go the temptations of your flesh. In other words, it's to go the opposite way. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, watch the direction of your feet. Where are you walking? Are you moving towards the things of God in all of the decisions of your life? Or are you being influenced by the pressures of the world? That will make a difference. And as we make decisions in our life, not only those small little decisions, but we need to make smart decisions that always have God in mind. Let me ask you this. Do you make decisions in a way that you say, will this honor Christ? Will this bring glory to God? Will this benefit others for the kingdom of God? What gives God the greatest pleasure? Those are simple questions. And before we do anything, we need to ask that question because it keeps us moving in the right direction. So he says, make sure you make those little decisions and that, that are gonna be filled with integrity. Make sure that you walk with smart direction. But here's the third thing he says. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone, and he says to everyone, he's a fool. There's some people that you watch them walk and you know they're a fool. You watch them walk. Let me give you an illustration. When you leave here today and you get right here on Market Street, on, I'm not Market Street, on Loop Road, as soon as you pull out, there's immediate traffic jam, isn't there? And so you're waiting. What would you think if you saw a person running down the middle of the road on the stripes, just jogging right between traffic? You would think there's something wrong with that person. Or you get on 17 and there's a person jogging and skipping along in the middle of 17. Or for you folks who live in Leland, you're on I-40, you're going back and there's a person just skipping along the center of the interstate. You would say there's something wrong with that person. Matter of fact, you wouldn't just call them a fool. You would probably call them an idiot because they're in the middle. And here's what happens. They are people who have no sense in discernment. And here's what he's saying. Be wise with sensible discernment. These people think they're invincible. These people think that there's nothing going to hurt them. These kind of fools, their last words are the same last words of a redneck. Hey, watch this. 
with one exception. The redneck begins it by saying, hold my beer, watch this. But these are people who think they're invincible. They think nothing will ever come to them. They never think about the calculation of it. And what is Solomon saying? Say, listen, use discernment. Before you make decisions, calculate, consider where this is gonna take you. Because some people make decisions and just the way they live, you know immediately that they're fools. So taking these three together, he's just saying this. Listen, there's all kind of individual foolishness that we can avoid. Be careful of the little decisions that you make. Are they the kind that are gonna take you and honor God and honor Christ with your life? Or are you gonna walk in a way that every decision you make is you're seeking to please him? Are you living in such a way that you recognize your smallness and not your invincibility because of who you are? When we live for Christ, we are to make every decision in the wisest possible manner instead of being like prairie chickens who scratch around in what's giving us. We walk in the power of the spirit and we put on wings of eagles and we can soar. So how are your decisions? How do you do that? Do you make them flippantly? Or do you consider doing the very best you can with what God's given you because the days are evil? Watch out for individual foolishness. Now let's look at the second one. I like this one. Watch out for institutional foolishness. Now it's one thing when a fool lives on his own and a fool makes decisions that impact him or just a few people. But it is another thing when a collection of fools get together and there becomes institutional stupidity. You and I know, and we have seen that, and we live in a world that is filled with that. And, the, and what we find is Solomon telling us two areas of institutional foolishness that are around us. Now, why is he telling us this? Because we can't run away from it. We can't. We face it every single day, and he tells us how we are to deal with this institutional foolishness. And that's on two levels. In, in, in verse four, he gives us the first level. He says, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Now, he's not just talking about the king. What he's talking about, if we put it in our sense, he's talking about a boss. In fact, he's not just talking about a normal boss. He's talking about a hot-headed, out-of-control boss. And he gives us the warning and says, we are to walk wisely when we have an unfair boss. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever had an unfair boss? Don't raise your hand. It might be here with you. So, or it might be you. But if you've ever had an unfair boss, you understand that. And what he's saying in this passage is very simple. He's saying, listen, when you have a hot-headed boss, when you have an unfair boss, when you have a boss who doesn't act with justice or any kind of intelligence, don't just quit your job. Don't just turn in your resignation. Don't become like him and become hot-headed or like her and become hot-headed and quit. He says, have some calmness to you. And I love what he says in Proverbs. He says, a gentle word turns away wrath. And all of us are in situations from time to time where we can act very foolishly because of a hot-headed boss. 
One of my first jobs was I worked sheet metal, and I worked sheet metal for 10 years. I worked in a fabrication shop. I did work for the Alaskan Pipeline. I lived in Seattle for a year running a sheet metal shop. And so one of the things that, that I, I encountered there was a boss that was so hot-headed. He never thought through everything. He would just come and just blast us. One day I was cutting some metal, and I had this heavy, very large shear. And I, was, I probably worked through three or four sheets of metal, cutting all of these according to the measurements. He comes out there and checks it, and they were all wrong. Everyone was wrong. I had just cut through three sheets of very expensive metal, and they were all wrong. Well, he just lit into me. He just started screaming at me. I mean, he was on me like white on rice. He was on me like fake meat at a vegan restaurant. I mean, he, he was there. And man, I just listened to him, and he cussed me out. He used all kind of crude language, and, and I was a relatively new believer. And so I'm just thinking, Lord, how do I respond? He was just letting me have it. Then I just simply said to him, and I said, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to recut them again for you? Do you want me to pay for the metal that I messed up? What would you like for me to do? He said, just do it right. I said, okay. I said, do you want me to use the same measurements that you gave me? <laughs> and he just looked at me, hung his head. He dismissed everybody that was around. He said, I am so sorry. That's my fault. Will you do it right? I said, I sure will. I forgave him. I went outside and slashed his tires. And, uh, <laughs> no. But what happened was, could have been a very, very bad situation. From that point on, you wanna know what happened? He trusted me. And not only that, he gave me the keys to the shop when I was in school, and I could come and go whenever I wanted to work because he trusted my work. You see, what happens is he's saying, don't blow up, be Christ. Model the heart of Jesus. Remember Jesus before Pilate and the way he stood? And he was so calm and emotionally stable. That's what he's telling us to do is in the midst of that, walk wisely with that. Well, it's one thing to have a walk like that with an unfair boss. But then he goes to the next one. He says, there is an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. What is he saying right here? He's saying right here that we are to walk wisely among unqualified leaders. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I have seen this evil, and here's the evil. Well-qualified, well-capable well men men who make incredibly wise decisions, men who are competent leaders, men who know exactly what they're doing, they're the ones, instead of in high places, take the low places. And the ones who should be walking, the ones who are incompetent, the ones who are untrustworthy, are the ones running the businesses in the country. And not only are the incompetent in charge, but they are bringing their friends who also are incompetent. And they're putting them in positions. And they're, rather than earning all of these by merit, they come simply because their friendship, or he says later, that they come because they are part of the family. Does that sound familiar? And what's he saying here? He's saying, listen, 
You can't run away from that. So what do you do with it? How do we deal with unqualified leaders? Let me just give you a couple of things. Number one, you trust in the sovereignty of God in the midst of such situations. And you come to understand that the major need of our culture is not better government or better policies. The major need of our our culture is the gospel of Jesus Christ who will transform hearts and changed hearts changes culture. We're missing that. And we get so worked up on the unqualified leaders and we should be because it is a disgrace. We watch what's happening But what if we took as much energy of our anger over the unqualified leaders and poured that into the message of the gospel and watched hearts change culture? Then we would see a change that would take place all along the way. And so how do we deal with it? Well, first of all, we live as salt and light. And as I live as salt and light, salt, one of the things, it's a disinfectant. It prevents decay. Light exposes darkness. We walk in truth. We walk in the the, the fullness of the spirit of God. And as we live in a culture, and we have opportunity as we do in this culture to elect people who are competent, people who are wise, people who are decent, people in many ways may be godly, to put them in the positions of being able to make the change because of wisdom. We have that opportunity. And we're called to do that. So in the midst of all of this unqualified leadership, we walk armed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we share the truth of who he is. And we watch him transform people's lives like Julie, who was baptized this morning. And so many of you changing culture. So he says, watch out for individual foolishness. That's our responsibility. Watch out for institutional foolishness. That's around us. But then he says, watch out for ironic foolishness. Ironic foolishness. You might say, I I don't really get that one. I don't really get that one. Well, this passage, um, verses um, eight and nine, have been a difficult passage for many scholars because they take this passage in a number of different ways. Some say it's just the inevitable risk that come with living life. Some say, no, what it is, it is the um, inability to work smart, and, and these are illustrations of dumb workers. And then the third position is, no, no, these are beautiful pictures of people trying to trap other people, but they themselves end up in their own traps. And that one fits the, the context best. So what's he saying? He's saying that this is an illustration that fools will result in a poetic justice for the things that they try to inflict on others. And here's how he says it. He says, he who digs a pit will fall into it. Remember, he's digging a pit to hurt someone. And a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. And he who quarries stones is hurt by them. And he who splits logs is endangered by them. The picture is this. There's a person who's digging a pit for his enemy to fall in. Or he's pushing down a barrier to get advance for himself and he gets bit. Or he's digging for, for stones and he gets injured by his own greed. Or he splits logs as a, as a, um, a snare and gets caught in them. So what is he saying is this. He's saying wise people avoid setting traps. You don't set traps. 
You don't dig a pit hoping to catch someone in it and embarrass them. Because usually when you dig a hole, you might be digging your own grave. And what happens many times is fools end up hurting themselves. You don't push your barriers to try to get um, uh, uh, an advantage. You don't take advantage of people so you can get ahead because you yourself might be bitten by your own trap. And you don't try to get advantage of getting something from somebody of worth so you can benefit yourself or set a snare for those things. What he's saying is this, wise people don't set traps. What do we do? We just simply walk in the character of Christ. And we love people because people are broken. People are messy. You're broken. I'm messy. We both are. And what do we do in the midst of all of these things? We submit all of those individuals to God and we walk wisely, never setting a trap for someone else so we look better. So he gives us that wisdom in that. But there's a second part on that. Not only he says you don't set traps, he says this, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. What is he saying here? He's saying this, wise people avoid shortcuts. If you're going to be a lumberjack and you're going to be cutting a lot of trees, if you're a wise lumberjack, the first thing you do at the beginning of the day is you sit down You take your axe, you take a sharpening stone, and you sharpen your axe. This is intentional. This is time-consuming. It may seem like you're wasting your time to get started, but it takes moments and maybe even hours to get this thing sharp. Then you get working. But the fool says, I'm not going to waste my time on that. I'm going to jump right to the work. I'm going to take a shortcut. I'm not going to intentionally sharpen my axe. I'm just going to wail away tree after tree after tree. But you know what? The shortcut usually ends up causing you to take the longer route, doesn't it? How many of you have ever tried shortcuts only to take longer? How many of you have ever tried to put a grill together by just looking at the picture and not the instructions? And you think the company is so gracious that they've sent you all these extra parts. (laughs) And it doesn't work. When if you take and do it right, then what happens is you actually save time. Wise people don't avoid um, the lengthy way. I want you to think, the Bible's filled with pictures of people who took shortcuts. Cain and Abel. Abel offers the best of his lambs, of his flock. Cain offered some fruit of the ground. God accepted Abel's. Cain was jealous and he killed his brother. You know how long he hated his brother? As long as he was Abel. And so he, um, <laughs> he took a shortcut. What about Abraham? Abraham takes a shortcut. Rather than waiting on God's promise for a promised son, What does he do? He goes into a scheme with his wife, takes her handmaiden as his wife, and they have a son named Ishmael. And now, since that point, there has been struggle in the Middle East. When we take shortcuts, we usually make a mess of it. I want you to think about this. The devil wanted Jesus to take a shortcut. You don't need to go to the cross, Jesus. When he was out there in the wilderness being tempted after 40 days, turn that, that stone into bread. No, bow and worship me. Throw yourself from the pinnacle of the temple and everybody will worship you. Don't go to the cross, Jesus. Do something spectacular. Take a shortcut. And aren't you glad he didn't? I want to tell you, there are four things in my life that I'm living for. 
Number one, for the day where the Lord Jesus looks at me and says, well done, well done. I'm living for that day. Oh, that I stand before him and he would say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I, I desire to be the kind of husband to my wife where she can honestly say that I love her and I serve her well. I want to be the kind of dad that my children don't date my faithfulness to some time in the past, but to my last breath, they would say, my daddy was the same in the pulpit as he is in life. And my grandchildren, that they would recognize the legacy. And there's a fourth thing, to be the very best pastor that I can be to you, to be the very best shepherd that I can be to this team that God has given us. Now, let me say something. Those things don't just happen. They don't happen. There's no shortcut to any of those things. There is a committed decision to pursue what God has called me to be and to get off the couch and do something. You know what I've learned? Good intentions are never enough. Good intentions are never enough to make you the kind of man that you want to be for Christ. Good intentions are never enough for you to be the kind of woman that he wants you to be for him. Good intentions are never enough to be a, a, a godly mom or dad. Good intentions are never enough for you to say, I want to go deeper in my walk with Christ. Good intentions never get you there. Holiness never happens by sitting on a couch. It is a process called sanctification with the Holy Spirit as he convicts me to do something, but I've got to do what he convicts me of. And if I don't do those things, and if I take shortcuts, I will never be who God wants me to be. If you don't remember anything else today, I hope you remember this line. Don't let your want to's become I wish I would have's. Don't let your want to's become I wish I would have. Because it's easy to take a shortcut, isn't it? It's easy to skim right here. It's easy to get by. It is easy to live a life of mediocrity. It's a lot easier to scratch the ground for worms and to soar like an eagle. And what he's saying here is, listen, in your life, as you are living for Christ, don't take the shortcuts. Don't set traps because the irony is the shortcut is longer and the trap becomes your own grave. So walk wisely. Watch out for individual foolishness. Watch out for institutional foolishness. Watch out for ironic foolishness. But here's the last one. Watch out for intellectual foolishness. How do, you, how do you know when you're dealing with an intellectual idiot? Their words give them away. It's always through the words. It's always through the tongue. It's always through their talk. One person said a long time ago, it said, better to be thought of food than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. And so what does Solomon do? He gets on this issue of the tongue. And this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna close with four things. I'm gonna go quickly because of what I'm going to be talking about. I don't want to ensnare myself in this, okay? So here's the thing. The first thing he says is be careful of an untamed tongue. Be careful of an untamed tongue. I love this illustration in verse 11. He says, if the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Now, in these days, in the king's court, there were people who could charm snakes. Um, they would take these 
poisonous, venomous snakes. And what they would do is they would charm them playing a flute. And if they would charm right, the snake would go back and forth. He would be hypnotized and the charmer could do what he want. But many times the snakes were slyer than a charmer. And he'd go to reach them and they'd bite them and they would die. And what he's saying here is sometimes the untamed tongue is kind of like a poisonous snake. Oh, it sounds sweet at first, but when that person keeps talking and talking, they have no filter. And as they continue to talk and they begin to speak, they end up biting people. Have you ever met a person that talks too much? Yeah, so many boy, y'all answer that real quick. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't point at your mom. You just raise his hand so big. All of us do. And you might say, I don't know of anybody that talks like that without a filter. Well, you're probably it. Um, but no, the thing is, I talk a lot. And I can get myself in trouble with words. My wife tells me all the time, you think you're encouraging, but you're really flattering people. And then she told me this. She said, let me remind you, gossip is something that you would say behind their back or to, the, to some that you'd never say to their face. And flattery is something you would say to their face that you would never say behind their back. Oh, your hair looks good. What happened to that? You know? And Chris says, you cross the line a lot on flattery. And she's right. And I have to be very, very careful with that. But the untamed tongue, which means this, I, I, I don't need to win anybody over. Use a filter and walk carefully with your words. And don't let your words get away from you. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you can see their eyes glaze over and it's like, okay, time to stop this conversation right? Okay, I'm moving to the next point. Here's the next one. <laughs> Be careful of the unkind tongue. He says, the words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. It's an unkind person. It's a person who speaks negative words. Have you ever met a person like that? People are just critical all the time, and they say, oh, I have a critical spirit. No, you have a critical heart. Jesus said, from the overflow of the heart does the mouth speak. And there's some people who just love to tear people down. And, and you see them coming, and you know exactly what they're going to say. There's some people with their words, they like to demolish. And there's some people with their words, they like to construct. And the question is, what kind of person are you? Do you find it easy to look at the negative in everything? Or do you tend to work really hard to look for the positive? I, I was telling a staff member this week, Tucker Kelly and I went to lunch, and I said, there are two kinds of people in the church, like birds that fly over the North American desert. There's the buzzard, and there's the hummingbird. The buzzard looks for dead things to pick apart. The hummingbird looks for life to inject more life into. And we can either be a hummingbird or a buzzard. We can be a constructor or a demolisher. And you want to know something? Constructing takes a lot longer than it does to demolish. Isn't that true? So Solomon is saying, watch your words. Don't be unkind. Then he gives a, I like this one. Be careful of the unwise tongue. The unwise tongue. He says, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness. And the end of his talk is evil madness. It's insanity. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. 
The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Here's what I love about this. He's saying that this kind of person has an unwise tongue. They love words. They talk, 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 talk. And they keep talking. And all of a sudden, they don't even realize it, but they've derailed the conversation. Now they're on a different subject. And they're talking about this and they're talking about that. And you're standing there and you're thinking, I don't know what they're talking about anymore. Have you ever been in a conversation with a person you've had three conversations with them and you don't even know where you are in any of them? And they just talk and talk and talk and they keep going incessantly and they never, ever stop. And one person says that 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 person is what they call a harm person. Harm means hit and run mouth. They just harm, they just hit and run, they just hit and run, hit and run, and hit and run, and hit and run, and they don't stop. And the thing is, this is a person that doesn't think clearly through issues they just like for people to hear them, but not to know people. They want to talk about things, but they don't want to talk to people. They're just engaging in that. I came across this epithet on a, um, uh, on a tombstone and um, it was in England. Here's what it said. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. <laughs> you don't want that on yours. You don't want that on yours. Here's the last one. <clears throat> Be careful of the unfaithful tongue. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. This is where we get the phrase, a little bird told me. That's where we get that from. And what Solomon is saying is this, listen, be careful of your words. Don't be unfaithful. Don't say things in private that you wouldn't say in public because you can get busted with your words. Let me ask, anybody here ever got busted with your words? Anybody ever here tell somebody something and it gets back to somebody else and then that somebody else comes to you and you're embarrassed? I mean, I don't know anything about it. I've just heard about it. But uh, no, I know a lot about it. And the, the, the danger is this. We need to be very careful. And if we're gonna be wise with our words, then if we're really concerned about something, we talk to them. I learned this in my first ministry position. There was a young man who was in the youth group that had a reputation of being a hothead, he was there to chase the girls, all of these things. And as I watched him, I really questioned his walk. I, I, I was suspicious of everything that he was doing. And I was talking to someone one day, and I said, we need to watch him. I said, I think he's here for the wrong reason. I know him to be a hothead. I don't see any real desire for him to follow Christ. And I think he's here for the girls. So let's just keep an eye on him. A couple of days later, that young man came to me. And here's what he said. He said, Phil... I just want you to know I heard what you said. Man, I just wanted to melt. Just kind of hung my head down. He says, I heard what you said the first time I came to this youth group. And what you said about is how Jesus can change my life and how Jesus is the answer for me and how he can forgive me of my sins. And I want you to know, man, I've yielded my life to Christ. I am surrendered to him. I am sold out to him. And I want to be a pastor one day just like you. It was just like, coals on top of my head. And the Holy Spirit just warned me that day. You know what? You so easily write people off that I am raising up for my glory. You ever do that? 
You ever write somebody off and say, they'll never make it? They're not, no, no, God can't use them. You're wasting your time talking to her. Let me tell you what I think about her and how she'll never make it. And the whole time the Holy Spirit is doing a work in her that brings shame to you and me. Wise people don't do that. Wise people recognize flaws in people, but wise people also recognize the flaws in themselves. And before I point my finger at broken, jacked up people, I have to remind myself that that's me, except for the grace of God. And even in the grace of God, that's still me. And so when we walk wisely, we walk carefully. So what is, what is he saying in chapter 10? Here's what he's saying. Let me just put it down in a very simple way. Walk like Jesus, who is perfect in his wisdom. Now, we'll never be perfect in that. But walk in such a way that you model the very grace of Christ. Walk in such a way that you want to pursue the wisdom of God and not your wisdom. Walk in a way that you put aside all the temptations of the flesh and the world and you choose to walk in Christ. And as you do so, we need wisdom. That's why in James chapter 1, verse 5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So you can live like a prairie chicken, scratching the dirt of the ground, settling for what the world tells you you can be, or you can mount up on wings as eagles as you walk in wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit and in the character of Jesus Christ. And God is calling us not to be fools, but to be wise. If you're here without Christ this morning, let me tell you, you can learn principles for wisdom, but they will always be from the outside in. But it's only as you have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord do you learn wisdom from the inside out. And God is calling us to walk in Christ. Here's what I do. I want to pray for you as we walk that way this week. And this week, you're going to have an opportunity. I want to encourage you to memorize James 1.5 this week. And as you go through your life this week, and as you need opportunities for wisdom, call on him and ask him for wisdom for that moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for all of these principles that seem to just pile up on us. But Father, may we be able to take what you've spoken to us about today the one or two things that your Holy Spirit has put into our hearts and our minds. And Father, may we be transformed by that this week. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.